I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed. This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer. I have Kane Warwick, the founder of Synthetics, with me today. Kane, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. So we were having a bit of a laugh. Kane is in Australia. He is winding down for the day after a 14-hour-plus work day. I am now looking at the sunrise here on the East Coast of the United States, and it is amazing how you think about it, that this world of blockchain, digital assets, whatever you want to call it today, we're all united and we're all in different parts of the world doing lots of different interesting things to make this thing happen. And it's just really interesting to think about that. You're on one side of the world, I'm on the other, and we're still having this conversation at the same time. So it's really cool. So I want to talk about what you're doing there at Synthetics. Um, As a caveat, I screwed up. I could have had Kane on my show probably about eight or nine months ago. Um, But, you know, the show got really busy at the time and we just couldn't find a time to do it. And I lost, uh, lost track with it. And so ever since then, and I will be completely honest with you, Synthetics has completely blown up and everyone has been using it. So... Uh, For those that listen to the show, uh, my apologies, but uh, it is obviously still a very, very interesting conversation and a very relevant conversation right now. So Synthetics is a decentralized synthetic asset issuance protocol built on Ethereum. We're going to talk about what that means and everything he's doing there. But before we get too far into it, Kane, uh, you had a past uh, as a founder and you've been doing a lot of interesting things before Synthetics. What we'd like to do is just give a little backdrop on yourself, what you were doing before Synthetics, and what specifically inspired you to be a founder and build this thing? Yeah, so uh, I, I dropped out of uh, university when I was like, I don't know, 19 or 20. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, was was going to college in uh, California, and a friend of his uh, decided to start a startup in uh, Redmond up in Washington, so you know, near Seattle. And he was having a great time and, and he said, hey, why don't you come? We're looking for extra people to, uh, to come and work at this uh, new startup. And so, you know, I, I came and joined and having kind of done some odd jobs and, and, and things, you know, uh, to make money when I was younger, uh, it was just sort of fascinating to see uh, this attempt to kind of bring all of these disparate elements together to you know create this business, um, and I think I just caught the startup bug from then, and then you know ever since then I've kind of uh, you know bounced from uh, one startup to another uh, you know over the years. So so that's kind of my my startup uh, career. But I, I've been 
in retail, um, in, you know, when I was a bit younger. And uh, I think the reason why Bitcoin was so interesting to me when I when I first came across it, or maybe when I second the second time I came across it, the first time I, I didn't quite get it, but the second time, uh, a good friend of mine, Asher, um, was starting a company in Australia called Coinjar in 2012, and he was trying to basically enable you know uh, Bitcoin payments for online retailers, um, and running an online retail business at the time. Uh, payments were expensive and clunky and chargebacks were a huge problem and fraud was a huge issue and we were spending a ton of time uh, trying to, to solve that issue. Um, and while Bitcoin maybe wasn't the, you know, the, um, the right uh, tool for that, I think now we're seeing, you know, with the emergence of stable coins and, and things like that, that, uh, you know, we do have the right tools to solve uh, some of the payments challenges that, um, you know, the Bitcoin set out to, to solve. So, you know, coming from a, a retail background, understanding payments and, and understanding the friction of payments, that's really what got me into Ethereum. And, you know, initially we launched Haven as a stablecoin platform to solve, you know, this payment challenge of, uh, of settlement. Um, and then, you know, it evolved from there into synthetics and, and, and you know, a, a variety of synthetic assets. Right. And we're going to talk about what this means, what synthetics is. But interesting, you pointed that out. So, one of the areas that a lot of people don't understand, so when I talk to people that are outside of the digital asset landscape, out of the blockchain blockchain landscape, they don't get that point that in the middle of a lot of these transactions, it's clunky and there's a lot of friction and it's slow and that there's always that intermediary that's kind of trying to get their little piece of the pie that's kind of slowing down the whole process and so that is one of the reasons why this whole world is taking off, especially for, uh, you know, cross-border payments and for, you know, sending money abroad to family. This is something that is one of the main use cases. So I just wanted to point that out. That's really interesting. So if you were to talk to people that were not very, let's say, keyed up into digital assets and blockchain – that we're just starting to learn about Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin has entered into the lexicon. They get it. They understand it. They're seeing some of their friends, some very large investors coming into this. And then all of a sudden, you're talking to them about what you're building with synthetics. How would you boil that down to something that was very easily digestible for them to understand what you've built? So I was actually on a panel uh, this afternoon um, that was uh, targeted at institutional investors and family offices and, and things like that. So I've been kind of thinking about how to to frame it in a way that um, you know is is digestible, um, you know, coming from from that angle. And I think that if you look at the last you know decade, maybe uh, two decades of uh, you know in Australia we call it like fintech, right, financial mm -hmm. tech progress. Um, uh, it's it's been painful. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, post PayPal, uh, you know, post some of the emergence of, uh, of like early internet payment uh, systems and some of these financial technologies got really excited about the potential. Um, but unfortunately, it's, it, you know, these, uh, these innovations have been really hampered uh, by, you know, both the regulatory framework uh, that, that they're operating within and the legacy infrastructure that they have to connect to. And I think what's been really exciting, you know, initially about Bitcoin and, and now uh, more recently about Ethereum and DeFi is that it gives entrepreneurs and it gives founders uh, a blank slate. You can actually create this totally parallel 
uh, infrastructure uh, and, and financial um, you know, architecture uh, that doesn't require connectivity right now to the legacy financial infrastructure. So you have, you know, carte blanche to, to kind of build whatever you want um, with, with very minimal uh, friction. And I think what we've seen is that the this ability has kind of caused people to, to go back and, you know, replicate lending protocols, you know, so uh, back in the, the early 2010s, you know, peer-to-peer lending was this uh, this huge idea that, you know, you'd be able to to lend some of your money and it'd be pooled together and you'd get a higher yield than if you just gave it to the bank or whatever. Um, but, you know, those, those businesses uh, have had some success, but, um, you know, been really hampered by a, a lot of friction in, in terms of uh, how they've been able to, to implement things. And then you look at something like Aave or Compound, um, and you know the the traction that they've been able to get, where you have this permissionless system where people can turn up and they can provide uh, capital. They can you know they can essentially loan out their crypto assets uh, to other people who are borrowing them, and the coordination of this is done all uh, through you know uh, smart contracts. Mm-hmm. So you don't need intermediaries. You know as you pointed out, you don't need uh, middlemen sitting there uh, coordinating it. You don't need you know regulatory uh, structures to kind of ensure that all of the rules are being adhered to and that no one is, you know, running away with money. You've got this very clear sort of deterministic process and, and coordination game that's that's playing out um, that allows you to do things incredibly efficiently um, and very cheaply that you just can't do in the, the legacy uh, financial world. And right. so I think that, you know, what we sort of saw as the promise of you know, fintech uh, progress and, and innovation is really being realized in DeFi and Ethereum, you know, over the last couple of years. So I like to make it even simpler for people and give them some real world use cases here. So let's try to do that now and play with this. So again, as I mentioned, Synthetics is a decentralized synthetic asset issuance protocol built on Ethereum. So let's break that down. Synthetic asset issuance. So if I'm out there and I'm listening to the show, maybe I'm in Brazil and I am a family office person. And as of right now, I don't have my ISDA or I don't have some of the trading relationships, but I really want to get access to Tesla and to some of the FANG stocks. Um, I want to be able to create this kind of bucket of different assets, uh, which really fit into our investment mandate. And let's just say it's a new family office. I don't have any of the things set up that I need to get have set up. I don't have a trading relationship with Goldman, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can I then go to Synthetics and create a basket of assets that would represent the ownership of those different assets? You can with some restrictions right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have about 40 different assets on the platform that are supported um, from commodities. Um, so, you know, gold, silver, uh, oil's coming soon. So uh, West Texas uh, Intermediate Crude is, is coming soon. Um, it, we've got a couple of uh, equity um, indices. So the, the FTSE and Nikkei are available and, and more are coming soon. A bunch of different crypto assets some crypto uh, indices, as well as some FX uh, uh, tokens that you know, support GBP, JPY, et cetera. Um, so you could construct a basket of uh, assets or, or construct a, a set of uh, assets that you know, kind of uh, map to your investment um, thesis or, you know, or mandate or whatever. Um, but obviously, we still have a long way to go in terms of being able to support 
uh, a much wider range of assets, you know, that's mm-hmm. coming. Um, but we're probably still, you know, six to twelve months away from being able to support, you know, individual equities and and things like that. Um, but what's really interesting is that there's a a protocol uh, that's actually built on top of synthetics called DHedge, which is in testnet right now, but it's about to launch. But is actually handling this exact use case. So it's basically allowing uh, family offices, uh, institutional investors to come in and construct a basket of assets that will kind of be self-balancing uh, that uses these synthetic assets to you know, kind of track a portfolio that they're trying to track. So you know, as we add new assets, you'll be able to come in and you know, construct a portfolio uh, and it'll be sort of one click. You choose some assets and, and uh, you get price exposure to that basket. Right. And I want to be very clear because I want people to understand this. These are reference assets, correct? Correct. Yes, exactly. They're they're tracking the price. Um, there's no underlying custody of the, let's say, gold, for example. You know, so the synthetic gold token is a, a purely synthetic asset that tracks a price oracle for uh, an ounce of gold. Um, it, you know, we don't store gold uh, in a Swiss vault or in a vault in Singapore somewhere. It's it's a purely synthetic construct. Got it. And I just wanted, I knew that, but I wanted to make sure that people understood that. Um, because I think a lot of people have this misconception, oh, wait a second, you know, I can just use these guys and, you know, have access to Tesla stock. No, no, it's a reference asset. So be sure that everyone who listens to that understands that concept. So these synthetic assets are collateralized by the synthetics network token, SNYX, which is then locked in the contract, enables the issuance of synthetic assets, synths. So talk about the relationship between SNX and synths. What does it what does it mean to people who don't understand that? So the the SNX token is sort of the the coordination token. It's your right to participate and provide collateral uh, to the network. So um, if you want to uh, if you want to allow um, you know for the trading of these different synthetic assets, um, and it's the trading, it's the exchange, you know, going from uh, synthetic gold to synthetic Bitcoin, a fee is charged. Um, so in that case, 30 basis points is charged. That fee is sent to a pool, which is shared by all of the people who are collateralizing the network and essentially acting as a pool of counterparties to these trades uh, that are locking the SNX token. So the SNX token is sort of a right to the, the fee uh, yield from the network itself. Got it. And while we're talking about that, something interesting has been happening. So Synthetix has been around for about roughly two years, give or take. I know that you obviously had the stable coin, which then kind of iterated into Synthetix. And you've had, I would say, a very robust grassroots effort uh, and community um, of SNX stakers. Um, And then all of a sudden, over the course of the last few months, and this is indicative of what's happened within the broader DeFi world, you've had more funds, institutional type of investors coming into this and being a part of your DNA. And so I'd love for you to discuss from some of the conversations you're having with some of those counterparties, why do you think that's happening now? And there are reasons why, obviously, and I'd like you to highlight them because we are seeing this Cambrian explosion where we've had the total value locked, which is a metric that some people are debating is actually kind of worthwhile or not. But it started at about $830 million in TVL at the end of April of this year. And then all of a sudden, about two days ago, 
it was roughly $3 billion. And so what is happening here? Why are people, why are institutional uh, players coming into this and why are they working with you? So, I mean, there's a, there's a number of kind of uh, things to unpack there. I guess what we've seen is that the institutional players in the space, and you know, we had some early ones like you know, Framework Ventures, for example, that uh, that were you know very early movers in the space that uh, that joined the network uh, mid last year, for example, um, and and you know some some other uh, investors that have kind of come on board. Uh, but I think there's been uh, a sort of you know groundswell of attention and awareness uh, from the institutions in in the space, you know, hedge funds and and other uh, you know VCs and and large capital. Um, allocators and and I think that that's happening because what's become really obvious in the last six months is that almost all of the crypto activity that's going on right now is happening in DeFi. All of the trading activity, all of the lending, all of the you know exchanges, the the value is being locked up by these DeFi protocols. Um, and you know it, it probably goes all the way back to to Maker, um, you know locking ETH. And issuing Dai, um, you know, so locking ETH as collateral, uh, they were kind of the the first project to really start gain, gaining traction um, and seeing a lot of value locked. Um, and then we had, you know, the emergence of some of the lending protocols like, um, you know, Aave and Dharma and Compound. Obviously, Compound is, is you know blown up in the last three months as they've issued their token. Um, but I think that institutions have definitely woken up, um, you know, and they're really looking at this space and seeing that. This is, you know, the, this idea of programmable money and this idea of decentralized finance is really where a lot of the action uh, is is sort of coming from. And part of part of, I guess, what's interesting about that as well is that you've you've got this situation where you know something that we started in synthetics, uh, you know, early last year uh, was this idea of uh, yield farming or, or liquidity mining, uh, which was essentially paying people. Uh, to provide liquidity to these protocols. So we started this process where if you provided uh, Ether into Uniswap, um, which was you know, providing liquidity, a liquid on-ramp for synthetics, we would pay you in the SNX token. And uh, that process of bootstrapping early network activity, I think has, has really uh, ramped up. It took a while for people to realize that it was a good idea. Um, and, you know, in some cases, maybe there's a little bit of irrational exuberance around this, but, you know, essentially what we're seeing is that as these new protocols launch and they're trying to bootstrap themselves and gain relevance, uh, they're essentially giving away their native token, their sort of coordination mechanism to bootstrap that early activity. Um, and I think what people are realizing is that, you know, if you're, if you get in early uh, into these protocols and you provide liquidity early, you don't even need to necessarily buy a token you know, like you may have in, in the you know, 2017 ICO boom, you can actually just come in and provide liquidity and earn uh, a percentage of the network, uh, which is a very different dynamic to what we saw, uh, you know, two or three years ago. Right. And so we had an interesting conversation with uh, Robert Lesner from Compound just a few days ago about yield farming. And some of the concerns I have is that you are, not you, not synthetics, but in general, what's happening, in my opinion, and I really want you to push back on this, if you will, is that in some ways there is the the building of systemic risk by yield farming. Some of these assets are incredibly volatile, and the underwriting, if you will, is basically in the hands of the protocol, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And so, so I think there are 
there are some, you know, there's degrees of risk, obviously, in everything, right? Um, and I think when you, for example, incentivize uh, liquidity to go into something like Uniswap, um, you know, people will put liquidity in there, right? Um, they'll get a yield from that. They might take the token or or take the incentive, and they might immediately liquidate it into, you know, a stablecoin or cash or something like that, which is fine. Um, you know, they're being paid to provide a, a service essentially, you know, by a decentralized protocol, but they're still being paid. They're providing that service and they're, you know, turning the the yield into cash immediately. But some people are actually sitting on it and they're accumulating it. Um, What's interesting is if someone else comes along and says, you know, you've got a bunch of your stable coins or a bunch of your Ether and Uniswap, actually, we want you to allocate that capital over here because we're trying to bootstrap this other protocol and we're going to pay you more to do it. Uh, really, what, what you know, kind of plays out there is this market uh, dynamic where the people who hold these large pools of capital are needing to make a decision about which of these two protocols they think uh, are you know the best uh, use of their assets, right? You know where they actually want to allocate their capital uh, to try and you know farm this yield, and a lot of that comes down to you know do they believe that the protocol is, you know is going to have longevity, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole bunch of dynamics that play out, uh, um, you know, in terms of uh, opportunity cost of, of allocating capital towards these things. But at the end of the day, when capital moves from say Uniswap to Balancer, back to Uniswap to Curve. It, yeah, there's kind of capital sloshing around and it does create some waves which can have an impact. Um, you know, for example, it goes into compound then comes out and, and you know back and forth. There's definitely some risks there, but the risks are, are far uh, less uh, powerful, I think, than, than people assume uh, because it's really just people putting uh, capital towards you know a, a different protocol or a different pool uh, to try and get this yield um, you know without necessarily, in some cases, they're taking on some leverage and and you know levering up, which is obviously not ideal. Uh, but in most cases, it's it's fairly siloed and and fairly uh, safe. Aside from you know things like uh, smart contract risk, counterparty risk, etc., which obviously need to be factored in. Um, but you know ultimately, it's it's a protocol that's trying to bootstrap itself, saying, "Hey, you've got a large pool of capital. We want you to allocate it here. We're going to pay you more." Than the competing protocol, and you know, we hope that you believe that this is a, a better deal uh, yeah. because you think that long term this is going to work. Where there is yield, there are always people who are going to be chasing it. That's just that's just the way the market goes. So, I agree with you. It's just obviously people need to be aware, and I'm sure that you know, as everyone is starting to do this, that people will become very aware, and best practices will be shared. So. Interesting concept. I want to talk a little bit about just so people understand again more about synthetics and about the the token and obviously synths. So as people are learning about this world, they're seeing that Bitcoin has a hard cap of twenty one million. That uh, Ethereum doesn't really have that hard cap, although they are now with the new EIP. They're working on burning some of those tokens. Talk to us about that as it relates to minting and burning of the token. Um, how do you, you know, incentivize you know, all of the things that happen on the network? So this is a really interesting uh, point, and I, you know, I've talked about this a lot. I think that one of the biggest mistakes in you know the previous uh, token wave of, of 2016, 2017 was this idea of you know uh, artificial scarcity, right? Um, you know, a, a project would come out and say we've got ten thousand tokens, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then another one would say we've got five thousand, and we've got a thousand, and you know there was this race to try and like constrain the number of tokens that were in circulation, but ultimately they did nothing. 
And, you know, if you've got 10 rocks and, and they have no value, it doesn't matter whether you've got 10 or one or two or whatever, you know, there's no, uh, there's no advantage to, to more scarcity, right? If there's right. no actual intrinsic demand for them. And I think what we've seen uh, change and, and particularly what synthetics changed was we actually said, you know what, we've got a fixed supply of 100 million tokens and no one wants them because no one's actually using the network for what we had designed it for. No one's uh, staking their tokens and not collateralizing it. So you know what we're going to do? We're actually going to shift it around and we're going to create an inflation uh, policy. We're going to change the monetary policy of the network and we're actually going to expand the supply of tokens from 100 million up to about 250 million over four years. But crucially, we're going to take that additional supply and we're only going to pay it to people who do the thing that the protocol needs them to do which is staking the, the token and locking it up to provide collateral. And what was really interesting is that started this flywheel, uh, which, you know, against all normal uh, economic analysis, uh, created more value in the token and more value in the network and, you know, went from uh, a market cap of, you know, five or, or, or six million all the way up to, you know, five or six hundred million, uh, because all of a sudden there was this this kind of, you know, uh, uh, momentum that built up in, in the network and, and you know became uh, sort of self-sustaining uh, mm -hmm. so I think that I think that ultimately this idea of you know scarcity as intrinsically valuable um, if there's no intrinsic demand for the thing itself scarcity doesn't really help you too much you need you need something that's driving the demand for it right so let's shift gears I want to talk a little bit more about some of the platforms, if you will, the pieces of synthetics that you've developed. There is synthetics exchange and there's mentor. Um, with the exchange um, in reading and obviously researching, it seems that you have come across many advantages over what you've built over some of the centralized exchanges. What are some of those? And then as you pivot from exchange, what is mentor? What is the the purpose and the the ramifications of mentor? So the the big uh, shift I think in in synthetics exchange versus a centralized uh, order book exchange is that you don't need both sides of the marketplace. So you know one of the the biggest challenges uh, when you're building a, an order book exchange is you need liquidity in the books if anyone's going to get any use out of it. You know if you turn up to a, a new market and you know there's there's zero liquidity in the books, it's not very useful to you. And so what we've done is we've essentially created this pool of liquidity that act as kind of standing counterparties with what's called automatic market makers. Um, and uh, and what that allows anyone to do is they can turn up, so you can turn up with $10, $100, $50,000, and you can trade against this pool of liquidity without needing to wait for a counterparty to show up, um, which is a huge advantage when you're trying to bootstrap a network and, and trying to um, you know provide a, a, an immediately valuable um, service to a new user uh, who would otherwise, you know, turn up, see no liquidity, and, and leave. Um, so that's that's the main difference between synthetics and and say most uh, centralized exchanges. In terms of Minter versus synthetics, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. So you know, Minter is the platform that allows people to come in and provide liquidity. Um, and participate in collateralizing the network and get a fee yield. Um, synthetics is the the consumer of that liquidity. The synthetics exchange is the the thing that allows a user to turn up and and trade against that pool of liquidity that Minter provides. And I'd love to get your thoughts. So 
as we're seeing more entrance into the space, so back two years ago, it was, you know, relatively speaking, it was you, it was Compound, it was Dharma, and a few others. And now you've seen this explosion, as you mentioned, with some of the others out there. And in terms of that yield, uh, is do you feel that in the next six to 12 months, 18 months, that there's going to be a further compression of that yield as there's more entrants that are fighting for those those kind of dollars, if you will? <laughs> Maybe. Um, you know, like, again, it's, it's a little bit like synthetics inflation, right? You know, in principle, you think if you uh, increase the supply, the, you know, the value of the thing should go down, right? Um, but network effects are very powerful. Yep. And as new entrants to the market come in, you know, things like Curve, for example, which is a specific uh, AMM pool that just deals with uh, things like stable coins or, or assets that have a, a similar value uh, versus, say, Uniswap or Balancer, which deal with, you know, matching uh, tokens that have, you know, very different values and, and allowing people to trade against uh, pools of, uh, of capital that way. So as you add these very sort of uh, specialized protocols that are that are kind of emerging, they actually, you know, increase the overall value of the, the DeFi landscape. You know, because you can go and use that one for that specific use case, this other one for this other specific use case. And so the overall pie gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and you just attract more and more liquidity. And that's what we're seeing over the last, you know, three or six months where we've gone from, you know, a few million dollars a day in volume to, you know, sometimes several hundred millions of dollars in volume and starting to actually compete with the volume of the, the centralized exchanges. Um, and I, so I think that it's very possible that that network effect continues to accelerate and you know yields actually increase rather than the decrease i mean eventually they need to compress uh, but in this early sort of hyper growth phase uh that could last for a very long time as DeFi sucks in all of this liquidity and, and volume from uh centralized exchanges and and other uh centralized platforms and it's been my kind of thesis over the last 24 to 48 hours, I'm sure you saw in the United States that the OCC has enabled banks to now uh, facilitate in the custody of digital assets. And so it's been my opinion that we're going to see some interesting things on the M&A side where some of these banks who have been neglecting digital assets for the last few years have been writing it off are going to get quite active in the space. And I'm not necessarily saying that they're going to acquire anybody more specifically, you guys right now. I'm sure that's not something on the uh, on the radar, but I think it's really interesting that, as I said, they have been really behind the ball, and there's been this cambering explosion, you know, led by synthetics and some of the others out there that you've been mentioning. And so I'm curious. There's been this move uh, that you've been working on uh, very diligently to the DAO. Um, and I'm just going to read this. In it, we stated the reliance on a nonprofit foundation to steward a project was likely a net negative and that we believed this governance framework, DAO, would ultimately be replaced by a DAO model for many projects. We have worked hard to implement this transition and with the help of a number of projects in the space and our community, we are pleased to take this next step forward uh, for our holder and governance. And so this was recently, this was this month actually, and so there's the protocol DAO, there's the grants DAO, and then there's the synthetics DAO. So people are starting to understand what the DAO is. Talk to us about the importance of this move and how difficult it was, if it was, and what are those different DAOs? So, so I think that um, you know, in terms of, of crypto M and A, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all for you know some of the custody services uh, out there that you know enable. 
this functionality and you know have been building this tech and, and are very specialized in it uh, to get acquired uh, you know by by large uh, institutions. I think what's really interesting though is something like synthetics, you know even back in the days when we had the foundation before it was a, a DAO you know decentralized governance framework, um, it wasn't actually uh, something that could be acquired. Um, you know, it's it's not uh, it's a little bit like trying to you know acquire TCP/IP or or something, mm-hmm. right? It's it's actually a protocol. Uh, you could potentially get a large stake uh, of tokens, which would allow you to uh, participate in governance. Um, but one of the things that we've resisted, even as we've moved to this DAO framework, uh, which is essentially a way of sort of coordinating behavior uh, and coordinating you know rules for the the specific behavior of the protocol. Uh, within token holders, within the, the participants in the, the protocol. One thing that we've avoided, which some other projects have, have kind of leaned into, is moving to direct token holder governance. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, people can basically say, well, if I've got 10% of the network, then I'm going to, you know, vote for this thing and it's going to go through because, you know, there's a thousand people with a hundred tokens, but they're not going to be able to coordinate themselves to kind of vote against me. And, and so I'll win. Right. Um, and some of the protocols like Maker, for example, have really suffered from this and you get, you know, voter apathy and, and people drop out of the governance process. And so we've, we've tried to maintain this idea of uh, what's you know kind of called rough consensus, which is similar, something similar to what Ethereum uses, where we basically allow anyone in the community to sort of, raise any issue and, and we discuss those issues you know openly uh and then you know we eventually get to a point where uh, as a community without needing you know direct on-chain governance uh we all kind of agree on on what the process is the next step in this uh is basically to move to like a, a veto model uh where essentially you know anyone can propose something if the community agrees um, you know, we have uh, rough consensus, then we'll proceed with it. Uh, but before it's actually implemented on chain, if a large portion of the token holders, you know, might be 10 or 15%, say, we are very worried about this decision, we want to, you know, continue the discussion around it, they can actually veto it. And what that will do is slow down the governance process and, and you know, stop it from, uh, from being able to sort of accelerate or, or you know, get out of hand. And it will ensure that there's like a, a check on power, essentially. Um, but ultimately, even if, you know, let's say Goldman Sachs decided, hey, you know, we really like synthetics and, and we want to own it or control it, um, you know, they can come on market and, and try and buy a bunch of tokens, but there's no direct mechanism for them to sort of, you know, take it and co-opt it, which is really important when you're you're building a protocol that, you know, it's it's censorship resistance and, uh, and resistant to capture by, you know, any single entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Very interesting as it relates to um, the. I was interested, you know. I want to say that you know, yes, there are others out there that have you know that five, six, seven, eight, ten percent ownership thing, and in the world of what you're building, you know, having the heavyweights out there, you know, obviously controlling or having a, a louder voice, if you will, is troublesome. I'm curious, can people delegate in this governance model. So if I'm, you know, a small, you know, token holder of SNX and, you know, there is somebody out there who is part of this world who I think is really smart and has been coming up with great ideas, can I delegate to that person or to that entity? Not yet, um, but it is something that, that we're planning to, to implement in the future. Um, so the, the plan would be to essentially have uh, seats um, 
uh, on you know, sort of a governing council, essentially, um, and any person would be able to, to you know, put themselves up to be uh, voted into this council, and provided they met a threshold of token holders uh, delegating to them, they would be able to uh, sort of you know join this council, propose uh, changes to the protocol, etc. Um, so that's something that I think you know as we get further and further uh, down the decentralized governance path, uh, we'll look we'll look to implement. Got it. And so another thing that you've recently introduced is binary options. What is that? It's essentially a way to uh, to you know place uh, a trade against a, a, a yes or no outcome, right? So you say, I think that Bitcoin is going to be above ten thousand dollars, you know, on the thirty first of December, twenty twenty, um, and you know, you and I can take opposite sides of that trade. You can say, no, I don't think it's going to be above ten thousand dollars, and I think it will be, uh, and then essentially we wait for that. You know, day to pass, and we check the price, and then it resolves. And so, uh, if I, you know, took the the long side of that trade, and it was above ten thousand dollars, I would get uh, paid out from from you, and vice versa. Um, so it's a way of having like a very directional uh, hedge against uh, a specific price movement in a in a specific asset. It sounds a little bit like gamification. Would you say that's correct? I think so because you know it's it's a very straightforward and and simple. Uh, way of kind of expressing an opinion, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, you know, you're you're taking a very uh, very straightforward uh, position uh, in a market rather than you know opening up a, a leverage long position and waiting for an exit point, et cetera. You're sort of saying, I think this, this thing in the future is going to happen or not happen. And so, with that, you know, with you mentioned obviously that specific uh, example. You know, if it was something outdated to say December of this year. Um, I'm guessing that data, specifically oracles, would be important to ensure that the the contract, the smart contract, essentially is validated. Is that correct? And what kind of process is that? Yeah, that that's exactly right. Um, so at the moment, we've got a mixture of Chainlink oracles uh, and our own oracle, um, and we can you know have markets that are that are sort of. Uh, around those 40 assets that I mentioned. Um, we've actually got about an extra, I think, six or seven assets that are only supported in binary options markets. Um, but uh, yes, you're right. Essentially, you need an oracle to to resolve those markets uh, you know, on the, the date of uh, maturity. Yeah, I had an interesting, I'm, I'm out in the, in the woods these days taking walks as that's the only thing that's kind of my respite I can't. Obviously, with lockdowns and quarantine, can't really do a lot of things besides walk. And so I've been doing a lot of walking. And so I just had this fascinating kind of concept in my mind that these validators, that these oracles and the kind of this move to, you know, DAOs are going to have just a, a huge effect on society and, you know, kind of economic systems going forward. Not necessarily asking you to opine about that, but it's just, you know, every time I, I think about it, every time I talk to, you know, founders like you who are building these things that, you know, this Oracle component and this kind of validation of smart contracts that are, you know, possibly long dated out, it's just really interesting. And so something for people to, if I was listening to the show, I would really look into this if you're not really familiar because it's it's a very interesting component of everything that's being built right now. But as time is getting short, I want to also focus on one other thing. So keep in mind, uh, we're going to have uh, links to 
your you know blogs and things that happen here because you guys are crunching out lots of different uh, improvements. Um, I haven't seen as many improvements, you know, on a protocol in a long time. So one of the things that you just released was called Altair. It's one of your new releases. Um, and in that you discuss, uh, a new liquidation mechanism. And so I'm curious what that is and what the importance of it is. Yeah. So this kind of ties back, I think, to, uh, you know, one of your earlier questions around, you know, why, uh, are institutions kind of taking a, a more, uh, you know, keen look at synthetics in particular and, and DeFi, uh, you know, more widely. And I think one of the things is that, uh, you know, the protocols have matured. Um, you know, they've gone to a point where they aren't, um, you know, in the cases of, of things like Maker and Compound and, and Synthetics, they've been around for a few years now. Um, and I think that we've gone to a point where, you know, we've implemented enough uh, checks and balances and, and, you know, safety systems that, uh, you know, institutions are getting a little bit more comfortable. Um, there's obviously newer things, you know, like uh, like Balancer and Wi-Fi and, and some of the other uh, new protocols that, uh, you know, might have only been around for a few weeks and, and maybe an institutional allocator doesn't feel comfortable, you know, dropping $10 million into one of those protocols. Maybe they do in some cases. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's there's definitely a, a sort of uh, due diligence and, and risk component. And so for us, one of the big, uh, sort of risk components that, that we were looking to to resolve is this idea of liquidations and, and ensuring that um, if the system does start to become under collateralized, that uh, you know positions will be unwound and and uh, you know the the collateralization of the network will be maintained. The way that we had handled that in the past was just to have a very large buffer. Um, you know, so the collateralization ratio was between seven hundred and eight hundred percent. Uh, but over time, as we want to bring that down, we need a mechanism in place so that, you know, if you have a position and, and it gets to the point where it's only 200% collateralized, someone needs to be able to step in and actually liquidate that position and, and restore the balance in the network. That's really interesting. And so last question, and then I want to just have a little fun because I know that you were also in a band. So I'm curious what music you're listening to before you go to sleep there in Australia. Um, Last question. And so if I'm out there and I'm listening to this, and so yes, you have roughly 40 different uh, assets that you can work with right now. But let's say I have a real hankering to do something that is not in those 40. And this has happened in the past before, before kind of mortgage back and, you know, CS, you know, CDOs and CDS and all that kind of synthetic stuff that was happening before 2007. You know, some of the larger institutions out there had to create that. Um, they didn't, you know, CDS wasn't really around at that point in time, and someone actually went out and created it. And so I'm curious if someone's got a hankering to do something, they see a trade out there, they can't represent it in any specific way, fashion, or shape, and it's not necessarily in your 40 that you're doing right now. Um, could they specifically or could they contact you and see if you can do it for them? So, so what's interesting is synthetics is kind of the, uh, I guess, um, focused on on the um, uh, the the more liquid assets, uh, I guess, to put it you know mildly, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like FX commodities, et cetera. You know, very highly liquid uh, regulated markets where um, you know you're going to be able to get a, a pretty 
uh, straightforward kind of canonical price of, of what the spot price is at any time. You're going to be able to get robust price feeds, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a complementary protocol called UMA, uh, which is kind of trying to take the opposite approach. Um, and you know is is bringing uh, a very kind of open and permissionless uh, approach to constructing synthetic assets uh, that supports a, a you know wide range of uh, of different assets, and anyone can kind of turn up and construct uh, you know a, a new uh, you know it's like structured finance 2.0, mm-hmm. right? You can just turn up and, and create uh, any trade you want. The the trade off and the challenge uh, that you have between these these two different approaches is with synthetics you get all the highly liquid um, markets and mm-hmm. you've got a lot of liquidity and and you know anyone can turn up and trade against this uh, this debt pool and you don't need to wait for a counterparty to show up and, and match your trade with UMA you can create any asset you want but you actually need to find a counterparty to trade and so you've got this liquidity challenge. Um, and so somewhere in the middle, I think, you know, the two protocols will uh, will eventually meet. And, and I've talked to their founders a few times about how, you know, we could potentially leverage, uh, you know, and, and bootstrap liquidity. But I think that there's something there. But, you know, again, it's just another kind of interesting example of like, you know, the, the range or the gamut of, uh, of different options and different approaches to, to solving uh, these financial uh, architecture problems. Um, you know, there's there's almost always a, a protocol out there trying to to do it. So uh, there's there's a very very large number of protocols in DeFi uh, taking on a, a number of different challenges, and and usually there's a tool for uh, for the job out there. Right. You just got to find them. And again, I want to hammer this home. This is these are things. These are instruments. These are concepts. These are vehicles that are not necessarily in themselves changing the world or innovating but the actual architecture underneath them the things that make them run the the mechanics behind them the under the hood if you will is what's really innovative and what's different is because these are being run on protocols these are not being run these are not being at the will and call of people in the middle of them they are being run by decentralized autonomous organizations and they're being run by protocols that are having that data in the middle of it being validated by oracles like Chainlink out there. And so that is where the innovation is. You know, people are going to find ways to find yield and to, you know, create um, disruptive derivatives, if you will, all throughout history. But what's really innovative is what's under the hood, especially with what synthetics is doing right now. And so I want people to understand that. Um, and do you agree with me on that, by the way? <laughs> I, I do. I, you know, I think what, what we've got uh, and what DeFi is really, if you distill it down to its essence, is it, it's the ability to create these coordination games that uh, once people agree on the rules, uh, they run autonomously. Um, and they don't require, you know, input or maintenance or oversight, you know, be it regulatory or, or whatever. Um, and I think that in terms of, you know, hyper-efficiency of... Uh, of you know the the operation of these um, kind of you know financial uh, systems, we've never seen anything like it. And so there's still a huge, just wide open uh, space for for experimentation here, and, and we're only scratching the surface right now. I love it. That's great, and uh, that is spot on. So it's late in Australia. Before we let you go, two things that we'd like to hit on. 
Um, specifically, I'm going to ask you in reverse. I usually ask what some of the things you may be reading, if you've had any time to read a book or books, uh, during, especially during quarantine, um, or anything that you've read in general, but you've also had a music background. I believe you were in a band. And so I'm curious, you know, if we can just do this very quick and fun, any music that you like these days, I always find it interesting what people are listening to and what kind of inspires them. So any music that you love right now. Um, it could be a band or just a genre and then anything that you've read recently. Uh, yeah. So I've got a three-year-old daughter. She's like three and a half and she's just like getting into a point where I can start to, to get her into some uh, good bands. So, nice. uh, we've been listening to, uh, to things like the Beatles and the Smiths, um, which has been, uh, been pretty fun to kind of introduce her to, to that the stuff. Smiths, so, wow. um, uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of uh 60s 70s 80s uh you know classic stuff so um it's been nice you know i i don't necessarily listen to that all the time but trying to, to give her a good music education so that's been fun a, th- a three-year-old that knows about morrissey that is you were doing a good job you were doing thank a you. very good job with that thank you yeah thanks so um, where can and yeah, then, yeah oh, sorry on the read on the reading side uh one thing i've got a uh good friend of mine, um, Cami Russo, she just released uh, The Infinite Machine, uh, which is the history of Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're interested in the space, like I read that book in like one sitting almost, right? Wow. I like, had to go to sleep at one point and then <laughs> uh, I got up uh, a few hours later and I couldn't put it down. I, I read it from like Friday night all the way through to like Saturday night. Uh, it's wow. just, um, yeah, super, super awesome read. So um goes into, you know, a lot of detail about some of the early history of ethereum and and you know there's a bit of drama and stuff uh you know in the kind of same vein as some of the the, uh the you know books about uber and things like that uh that have come out lately so it's a great great read i would highly recommend it yes it's uh someone i definitely follow on social on twitter and i have not read that book yet and everyone is raving about it so i'm definitely going to get my hands on that and hopefully we can have her come on the show and talk about it um and so hopefully you can put a nice good word in for us um where can people find out about synthetics and i always want to give people an opportunity where can they get involved with it so i mean the the main place to uh you know start interacting with uh, synthetics is probably our discord community um so we have a community of uh about i think it must be almost ten thousand people now um, in Discord, which is a if you're if you're not familiar, like a, a crypto kind of chat service, similar to like Telegram, um, that's that's kind of the main hub of activity uh, that uh, that we have, um, and, and where a lot of uh, the kind of discussions around the protocol um, happen. So that's a really good starting point. There's a lot of friendly people that'll be happy to ask um, and you know, answer your uh, your you know. Uh, noob friendly questions. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's the, the probably the best starting point. Good. So I have to say that over the course of the last few months, my shows have been topping out about 30 to 35 minutes. I've been trying to keep them short and sweet, but there's so much that Kane and the team at Synthetics are doing there that I don't care. This is an hour. You guys are going to listen to it. And there is so much that you guys are doing that I find incredibly interesting. So Kane, thank you so much for coming on the show. Go get some rest because I know it's late there in Australia. I'll start my day here on the East Coast here in the United States, and uh, we'll be following you soon and hopefully catch up at the end of the year or beginning of 2021. Maybe we'll all be out of quarantine at that moment in time. And good luck with synthetics, and we'll see how things are going. Thanks so much, David. really appreciate you having me on the show. 
Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.